Good morning, this is Disability Justice, an everyday pursuit and survival. Your host, John Griffiths. In the studio today, Glenna, would you mind introducing uh, yourself? Yeah, hi, my name is Glenna Hayes. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm the advocacy and outreach coordinator for UCP Connections and UCP Mentors. And I'm also the support staff for self-advocates taking action. And you also help out a lot of individual advocates with their own individual advocacy. Yeah, I mean, I feel like my work needs to be directed at all times by the self-advocates that I work with. While I understand within my organization I'm a leader, the self-advocates lead everything that I do in every aspect of my work. Um, I think that's how it should be everywhere when it comes to disability rights and services, and hopefully more people will follow along one day. Yeah. So today we are here to talk about Build a Movement. Build a Movement was started simply because I was frustrated with the fact that for many years we keep on advocating on the exact same issues over and over again, constantly telling the exact same stories to the exact same people in in legislations. And I went to Katie Rose and said, I am so tired of this. I just want to lock the politicians in a room with me for at least two to four hours and scream at them all. Katie said that wouldn't go over very well. So she recommended I talk to the staff members of my local self-advocacy group, which at that time was uh, Jennifer Knapp and Meg Tinnen. And with the help of of these two ladies, uh, I got Build a Moment started. Do you know how long it's been, Glenna? Eighth anniversary of Build a Movement. You've kind of been there almost from the start. Build a Moment is essentially a constant effort of me trying to get more and more advocates in the same spot to express to legislators and also to try and get more and more legislators to listen to what we need done and to actually hopefully motivate them, not just advocate around it, but just motivate them and and give them a sense of, of what it's like to be a person with a disability and what we need and what we what legislation we need them to, to start passing so that we could just live normal lives, just normal, fair lives that every other neurotypical person without a disability gets to lead. Build a movement's done in three pieces. So the you know, identifying the key issues, practicing and like putting together the message and the request for the legislators and then meeting with the legislators. So it is like a lot of prep work and, you know, self-advocates deserve to be paid for their time, especially when other people are getting paid in the room. So it's really nice being able to like provide having a venue space, being able to pay for food. But the stipend is, I mean, we've been able to increase our stipend for self-advocates pretty drastically over the last couple of years. It's just really nice knowing that we can pay them for their time That's one of my dreams is anytime someone is doing work, especially around disability advocacy, they deserve to be paid because everyone else in the room is getting paid. But I'm really excited for this year. 
it was a pretty stressful long session. And, you know, this year, you know, John and I, we talked about moving it up by a couple months. Um, we were able to talk with a couple legislators um, and get a little bit more of information on the process of when legislative concepts get introduced. And the legislators actually really don't have a lot of time off. Normally when the, le- the, the long session ends, they might get a month off. This year, they are not getting a month off. Uh, I know that due, due to the walkout, that was the longest walkout in Oregon history, legislators are still working. They're kind of doing some damage control. They're getting together budget stuff. They're really focusing on budget because a lot, I think a few hundred pieces of legislation was killed during that session or died, which just means that due to the walkout, nothing could happen. Nothing could take place. They couldn't do work sessions. They couldn't do public testimony. They couldn't do floor votes. So it really caused quite a lot of damage, unfortunately. So it'll be interesting to see where we can land with a short session. And so normally the legislators get like a month off and then they start meeting with their constituents or groups of individuals, even if they're not their constituents, to start writing policy, to start writing legislation, to start working on the concept. And so because, you know, it takes meetings and then it takes bringing in um, a legislative writer who actually can write the policy that they want to introduce, can write the bill out in the technical terms and language that they need. And then by November, they have to file it so that it's ready to go for the next session. The long session legislators don't have a very strict limit of how many concepts they can introduce. But during the short session, they have a very small amount that each legislator can introduce. John, I believe you said it was... I think it's one for representatives and two for senators. Yeah, so that really limits... Uh, what we can get done. But I'm hopeful for build a movement this year. You know, this is the first time we've moved it up to September, which is a pretty good time to start talking with legislators so that, you know, not all of their concepts are finalized. They haven't filed anything yet. So there's like a little bit of wiggle room for them either to adapt the concepts that they are going to do or maybe take on a totally different direction of a concept. I know that they have to do a lot of critical thinking around that and probably they get so many requests that you know that there's stuff going to be on the cutting floor for them. But I'm really hopeful to hear from some legislators of like, what is their focus going to be during the short session? I mean, we're in a nationwide housing crisis. We're in a nationwide provider crisis. We're in a labor crisis in many areas um, across the nation. Inflation is making it extremely difficult for people to meet their needs just to survive. And I know that we have a lot of different demographics in Oregon. I mean, Portland is a blue dot in a red sea. So it's, you know, very interesting the different needs for different communities based off of like urban city development versus like rural, more like spread out communities, you know, and those communities are more impacted by like wildfires and lack of resources. So it's going to be interesting watching how things play out due to the damage from the long session. And I really hope that at least during the short session, we don't have another walkout because we have such a short amount of time that we actually have for the short session to introduce concepts, do public testimony, work sessions, and floor sessions. I do believe, though, that self-advocates taking action is planning on going down to the Capitol to make meetings with legislators. You know, I think now is the time for us to show up 
every single time, no matter if it's a long or short session. There's just so much writing on the line for our community. So being that it is such a short session, can politicians really walk out on that one without, I mean, if you don't have a budget, then nothing will be achieved, nothing's going to go on. So I would think that the short session is just one they can't walk out on. You would think. (laughs) I mean, that would be ideal. Um, Our long sessions are 160 days. Our short sessions are only 35 days. That's such a small window. I mean, and that's the thing. We were hoping that that new law that we voted on last year, that if, you know, legislators walk out and they have a 10 days unexcused absence, they can't run for re-election. But obviously, the Republicans who walked out, you know, they made the statement of, well, we're, we're going to test that as well. We're taking that to the Oregon court, circuit courts, to see if that's even constitutional which I think is so frustrating because it's like we voted on it as our going as people in Oregon. We really were tired of the damage that caused. And it's not just the Republicans who've walked out. You know, it's a strategy both sides have used. But the damage it causes to us as people who live in Oregon and rely on a lot of supports and services and funding that is dictated by the legislative process The people who don't rely on these supports and services don't understand that the walkout, especially due to a bias or personal opinion on bodily autonomy, damages so much more to the communities that rely on the legislative process. And this is all stuff that we discuss in Build Amendment is housing, it's a provider crisis, it's, we've discussed everything from A to Z at uh, Build a Movement generally in our first session that's where we make all of our complaints and our talk about all our problems and then you know like in the second session we generally unify our message to our legislators which is the third session of course yeah i mean and our our key issues have been the same for a while i mean we leave space for there's like a new idea but it's it's always housing healthcare the provider crisis, supports and services being more accessible, accessibility in the community at large, um, lowering caseloads. I mean, that would be a piece of legislation I would love to see is having max caseloads for individuals so that the people who rely on these supports and services can actually get some support from the services that they're contracted to be getting from the state. So things like that come up repeatedly. But that just shows that, like, even within our efforts and the little wins that we have had along the way, we're still hoping and pushing for a larger change. Yeah, and it is, I guess it's eventually our hope to start hitting some federal-level stuff. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, I've reached out to our federal, legis- our federal congressman and our federal senator to meet with them, or at least their teams, and discuss how we can get more plugged into the federal side of things. I went to an advocacy event the other day that was based in California and I talked to them and was like, we're all talking about this in our own pockets. We're all talking about provider crisis. We're all talking about housing. We're all talking about healthcare issues. How can we build a coalition to apply pressure on a federal level? Because if we're not getting the support from the state level and we're all doing this work, I would love to see like a nationwide community that is pulling all of our efforts together to apply for some federal changes. 
because as you know, like we've talked about, like our gears can turn a little bit on a state level, but without the federal gears turning like social security asset limits, marriage equality for people with disabilities, you know, there's always going to be only so much that these states can do before we need to address things on a federal level. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, we bumped into so many barriers. It's really not funny. Well, and we've talked with um, Senator Wyden's staff and Earl Blumenauer's staff, and, you know, they're supportive of a lot of our efforts. It's other federal legislators. I think we're going to have a higher influx of some of the new legislators who are a little bit more progressive in the ideas of funding and community support. So I think we're going to have some more allies um, during this building movement that I'm really excited to get to know. And I'm really excited to offer, you know, we're going to do the legislative session in person this year as well. We might, we're going to have a Zoom option for them, but we haven't been able to do a legislative in session one since 2019. Uh, Yeah, I think you're correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that had a great turnout. And I think people are excited to get back into that in-person aspect. Um, But, you know, for accessibility, that's why we offer the Zoom option for self-advocates so that they can participate however they want. And if group dynamics don't work, they can work with me one-on-one in person or on Zoom or a phone call or even text so that we can get their experiences and their statement involved in the process. You know, we want to make it as accessible and adaptable as possible because um, we understand, you know, it's it can be intimidating. It could also, you know, the structure of some of these spaces aren't accessible for folks, but we know the value, right, of having their lived experiences and having their voices in this process is it's so important that even if it's, hey, I'm just going to chat with you for five minutes and this is what you want me to tell the legislators, I can pass that information on on your behalf or you can even leave it anonymous. I mean, obviously we have to, we can't do like super negative messaging where like we're attacking them, but we can pass along like a message of this is my lived experience and this is an issue that I face as a person with a disability. I think it's just so important to capture that because also like there's so much wisdom and just knowledge in the lives of people with disabilities, how they survive, how they, they have to adapt to an unaccessible society I just think having that knowledge um, in our tool belt is just so powerful for the work that we do, and we can't do it without it. By the way, should anybody be hearing this and they're planning to attend, uh, bam, and you need some kind of accommodation like, um, you know, a signer or a translator, please get a hold of Glenna Hayes so that we know to have that accommodation available for you. Yes, and all of our spaces are um, accessible for mobility devices and obviously service animals. And I'll give you my information, John, with the the Build a Movement dates, so maybe you can put it in the show notes, just so that if people want to register, they can reach out to me. Um, You and I have been working on making this a cross-disability movement. Um, Normally, it has been people with intellectual or developmental disabilities, But as we know, they separate us based off our disability to create a hierarchy to divide us so that we are just scrambling for crumbs of a piece of cake. So I think, you know, making it across disability movement is really powerful. Sometimes a person with an intellectual disability also has a physical disability. uh, And it was just 
a really good idea to include all peoples of disabilities. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're only separated by our disability due to funding streams. But in reality, we all have a disability and we all rely on community support. We all need different aspects of supports and services. And I think it's the more that we can get together and build each other up um, and work together with our access needs. I think that's just really powerful. And we're louder together. I mean, when they passed the ADA, they weren't just focusing like they were focusing on a lot of different accessibility pieces but eventually that paved the way for cross disability movements on accessibility in different states and you're right a lot of people with disabilities it's not like they might just have some people might just have one disability but there are many in our community who have a mental health diagnosis you know they might have um, they might be on the spectrum or have a developmental disability with a physical disability. I mean, I know some individuals with all three. So it's, I just think it's important for us to uplift each other. Yeah, and that's sort of what BAM's all about, is just building movement is about building more and more people together in the same place with the same problems, or close to the same problems, (laughs) and uh, also trying to get more and more of our legislators, uh, the people who make the rules and the laws and all that other stuff, and, you know, not just um, state representatives and state senators, but also the federal people as well. Mm-hmm. The way that I view a lot of this work is we are cataloging this information in every aspect of our work. It's like we have, the way that I visualize it is we have a big filing cabinet of all of these things that we've done. We know what worked, what didn't work. We know how to adapt certain things. And there's a lot of times where if I'm on a new project or someone wants to reinvent a project that we've already done, I can go into that filing cabinet and find that information. And so it's it's like we have this whole history to go off of that is really, really helpful in the work that we're doing. And I'm excited to see what, what we can use from that filing cabinet for the federal side of advocacy um, I would still, I was still in planning and figuring out funding. I would love to take self-advocates to Washington, D.C. I would love to figure out how things work on a federal level um, for our community in the ways of advocacy. Because, yeah, I think we're going to need both sides to get the fully free and liberated life um, for people with disabilities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And exploring the federal side of things is definitely going to be a a whole new adventure. I think we have a lot of experience when it comes to doing things within our state, but federal has been something people have been afraid to take on because of how big it is. Well, I'm up for the challenge. I feel like I I dove in and figured out the legislative process in Oregon by myself um, with a lot of research and a couple allies to ask questions, a lot of questions too. So I feel like the federal side is just another another mountain to explore. And I'm really excited. I think, you know, we talk about asset limits and marriage equality. Uh, you know, being able to get married is just one thing, but there's also, you know, the fact that they pull your funding so quickly after you die, you don't really have time to have death with dignity. Or, you know, the fact that they ask if you have a funeral plot 
you know, I mean, this makes people think, well, I cannot go out and even get, make plans for a burial or anything like that. And then, you know, the whole normal people get to use GoFundMe to finance some of their issues. And yet when you're on SSI, you can't use GoFundMe. Uh, you could really lose your SSI if you were on GoFundMe. And there's so many other things that I just, I can't name them all. They're, they're way too numerous. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's just about how we can piece those together. Um, Cause you're right. There is, there is still a lot of, a lot of barriers um, and a lot of changes that need to take place for people with disabilities. I mean, a lot of the policies and procedures and laws and legislation, all of that is pretty outdated. And I know in Oregon, we're, we're very focused on the provider crisis and getting provider wages addressed for support needs. But I'm hopeful. I think, you know, the more that we work on this and the more advocates we're able to support and bring in and more encouraging more organizations to build like my role into that, I think is we're paving the way for a lot of the change that has been kind of stalled out since the ADA. And I'm hopeful. I feel like we have more allies. I feel like more people are, we have a lot of disability advocates out there now that have good influencer platforms and stuff. So I think people are getting to know us more. Yeah. And when you say out of date, you really mean out of date. We're talking about 40 or 50 years out of date. Yeah. We're talking like the ADA didn't even pass until 1990, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and then and asset limits haven't gone yeah. up in, I don't know how long. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm an 80s baby. <laughs> I'm 35. And a lot of those policies and procedures and laws haven't been updated in my lifetime. And I think, you know, with all of the evol evolving pieces of society and how, what we need to survive in society, we really need to update some of those. Um, and I would also like to see institutions for people with disabilities close the forced sterilization of people with disabilities, which is still exists in some states. I, I, all of those pieces, you know, need to be addressed and they need to change. I mean, there's some states that even still use the R word in their policies, like uh, during their planning meetings, um, which is very outdated, harmful language. Um, we still use high functioning versus low functioning. We still label people, they'll never be able to be independent, but just all of those things are just really outdated. Um, and I think it's time that we update them. And I'm hopeful with through, through the federal side of um, advocacy, we can make, and also building like a network of folks I think it's time for us to make a nationwide effort together and pull our resources, pull our voices. We're all screaming for the same things in tiny little pockets. Man, how powerful would it be if we all got together and we're screaming together? Yeah, well, that's why, you know, I know things have to be led by people with disabilities, but I would also like to sometimes see like the caregivers get involved the case managers and the personal agents get involved, uh, the administration get involved, simply because I would like the legislators to see how extensive, uh, you know, because it services doesn't just affect the individual receiving services. It also affects the caregivers who have to deal with an unreasonably low wage, 
and virtually no benefits to help them out in any way, shape, or form. And uh, the case managers and personal agents who are so overwhelmed with numbers, they have no time to even remotely get to know their clients in any way, shape, or form, so they can't really help them out in any way, shape, or form. Seeing all these people in one place, maybe legislators would start thinking, eh, maybe I should start uh, listening to these people. That's an awful lot of votes. Yeah, I mean, it's a symbiotic relationship, right? Like support providers wouldn't exist if people with disabilities didn't need supports. Same with case management, same with all of these nonprofits and other organizations that support people with disabilities. None of that funding and none of them would exist without the people with disabilities. And we do need them. <clears throat> we need their perspective. And I, unfortunately, I feel like part of the reason why we need their perspective is due to ableism of people who don't know our community being ableist and discriminating against people with disabilities. Um, I see that a lot of, you know, a person with ADHD or who's on the spectrum is saying, hey, this is what I need. This is what's accessible for me. This is how I want to live my life. And they can tell that to about 20 people. And then you have a neurotypical able-bodied person say the same thing. And that person is listened to in one time. So it's I, that's also why we need these people is we need them to be our allies and step up and be a voice for us and with us. I think the only time it can get a little scary is when our allies go off on their own tangent and don't center people with disabilities um, at the core of their message. But we need them. We definitely need them in our advocacy efforts. You know, if case managers were like, hey, we want lower caseloads and we're really loud about it. I'm sure we would be able to push harder on getting caseloads lowered. Um, it's because I don't know anyone who can support 42 people plus. I know that that's a that's a low number for some people. I know some people have upwards of 60 to 80 people, and there's no way that one individual is able to maintain supports and services with all the bureaucratic paperwork and then have a personable relationship that also can help this individual thrive more in their life. And I think, yeah, it's. I definitely would love to see us pull together. Um, and I know that can be a hard barrier when you're a provider or a case manager and you have you have so little time, but it's needed. We definitely need them in our efforts every step of the way. Yeah. Is there anything in conclusion you'd like to say? All I would like to say is I really hope that folks will sign up for Build a Movement, even if you are our provider or a case manager. Last year, we did have some allies within our group. We just made sure that folks with disabilities were, they had priority to speak, but we need you too. Like we need everybody in these efforts. We need, we need people with disabilities. We need their natural supports, their paid supports. We need people who are working in the system to also come help uplift the voices of people with disabilities. So I would love to get more people together, even if you don't have supports and services, but you have a disability, even if you don't rely on social security and have a disability, it is time for us to come together and try and push as hard as we can to support and uplift our community. Um, so I hope that those who may not be, and even if you're not familiar and you're not sure you want to join, reach out with questions. I'd be happy to meet with you and talk to you about the process and get you plugged in. We're a very friendly group. 
we're very passionate and I hope that doesn't intimidate anybody. Um, but we are very welcoming and we would love to welcome more people into our community and our space for this project. And Glenna, do you think it'd be okay to give your professional contact information? Yeah, yeah. Uh, please put my email and my phone number in the show notes. Uh, my, that phone number can also receive text messages. And if you need interpretation supports to meet with me, um, we can figure all of those pieces out. Um, but yeah, please put my phone number and my email in there. I believe you can also get my information off of UCP of Oregon's website um, in the brokerage side. But um, And you also can reach out to Self-Advocates Taking Action on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. That's where we'll be posting the flyers and the dates for Build a Movement. And that is also a great way to get plugged into some of our work outside of the Build a Movement session. Well, I'd just like to thank you for coming in and uh, giving us um, an update on Build a Movement and telling us a little bit about Build a Movement. And uh, I'd also like to thank Multnomah, Clackamas, and Washington County brokerages for cover for giving us support for Build a Movement. I greatly appreciate that very, very, very much. Yeah, thank you, John, and thank you for all of the work you do for putting together these projects. Um, and thank you for all the other self-advocates who have helped along the way. Yeah, and I just appreciate all the work you do, John. You deserve a round of applause, too. You do so much for our community. And, you know, this was your project. This was your baby. You developed it. Um, so I just want to say thank you, and thank you for having me today. That's the end of Disability Justice. Since we cannot be fully aware of everybody's difficulties within the community, we would really like it if you would send us your email disabilityjustice at kboo.org. Fighting for survival is such a boring battle Wanna get into my car, I wanna drive out to Seattle Where the used record stores have much better prices But I don't have a car, and I don't You're have listening a to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM And streaming online at kboo.fm KBOO Community Radio is hiring a full-time development director this position leads all fundraising campaigns in alignment with KBOO's mission, goals, and policies. The development director works closely with management and staff to identify funding priorities and create major donor campaigns, capital campaigns, and grant writing. More info can be found at kboo.fm hiring. We will begin reviewing applications on August 7th, and the position will remain open until filled. KBOO is an equal opportunity employer. Thank mm-hmm. you.